is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, declared the prophet Joel. For the day of the Lord comes, for it is nigh at hand. Do you believe that? How close is the day of the Lord, and what is the day of the Lord anyway? And what does it have to do with the blowing of trumpets? Today on Viewpoint, we take a look at Rosh Hashanah, called the head of the year. That's the secular name for it, but the biblical name is the Feast of Trumpets. So today we take a look at that. I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And if there's ever a day, ever a time, where there should be increasing conviction, it's today and tomorrow, because we're looking at Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Again, that's the secular term for it. They call it the Israeli New Year. But the real purpose of this time is the blowing of trumpets. And what does the blowing of trumpets mean? Why is it that the prophet Joel announced so boldly and solemnly, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain? Why did alarm need to be sounded? It goes on to say, Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why is it that the inhabitants of the land were to tremble? He said, for the day of the Lord comes, and it is near at hand. Then he goes on to describe what it is like. Then again he says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. What is this business of the blowing of a trumpet? Well, the Apostle Paul apparently had some understanding of this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he again talks about the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. There's going to be a shout, but then also there's going to be the blowing of a trumpet. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Well, there are going to be a series of trumpet judgments. That's right, a trumpet judgments. But then there's going to be a final trump. And that will wrap up human history. That will wrap up human history as we know it before God. And that's why God, in his mercy, declared to Israel in Leviticus chapter 23, talking about the feasts of the Lord, the first of the fall feasts after the fulfillment of everything related to the salvation message that is Passover, Feast of First Fruits, and Pentecost, everything else related to the salvation message then begins in the fall. The first is the spring feast. Then come the fall feast. The first four feasts have been fulfilled. The last three of the seven are yet to be fulfilled. And the first of those that is yet to be fulfilled is called the Feast of Trumpets. But why 
Is this the beginning of the fall feasts? And if the fall feasts have not been fulfilled, what then is the meaning? What is the implication of the blowing of trumpets when the prophet Joel said it's very solemn, very sobering? In fact, so sobering that all the people should tremble. Here's what it is. The Jewish history tells us, the rabbis tell us, the Hebrew understanding tells us that the purpose of the blowing of trumpets was to call the nation to repentance. In fact, not only to call the nation to repentance, but to declare a day of judgment. So it is also called the day of judgment. The blowing of trumpets. Because God is warning his people. It's a warning that God, in his mercy, is sending out. He has done this every year now, ever since God gave the Jewish people through Moses, Leviticus chapter 23, and the seven feasts of the Lord, every single year they were to remind themselves that a day of ultimate judgment was coming. In the meantime... Every year was to be a remembrance or a moment of judgment in which the people would reassess their lives, reassess how they had been living the last year, and would realize that they were standing before God, the creator of the universe, who would call them to account for their lives, whether or not their lives had comported with his word, his will, and his ways. Therefore, it was called the Day of Judgment. Then following the Day of Judgment, in which the people are called to a reckoning before God, were ten days. Ten days called the Days of Awe. The reason they were called the Days of Awe is because they preceded the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement then, would be the final reckoning. God would bring the people before him through the blowing of trumpets. They would be assessed by heaven, and the final determination concerning their lies would be determined on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Did they repent or not? Did they humble themselves before God, or didn't they? And they had to do this every year. Now, the interesting thing is that while we are not, most of us are not Jewish people, we still know about God's judgment, and we know about God's call to repentance. In fact, the word repent is the most hope-filled word in the Bible. Because without it, there is no hope. In fact, just to let us know how closely this is akin to Jesus' message, and that is of his apostles, before Jesus arrived to begin his ministry, a fellow by the name of John the Baptist came. And he gave a message to the Jewish people, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then after six months of his ministry, and baptizing Jesus at the River Jordan, he passed the baton to Jesus, and Jesus began and picked up the same message. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then, after three years of ministry, Jesus passed the baton to his disciples, and they picked up the same message, repent and believe the gospel. The Apostle Paul, as the Gentile, uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles, gave the same message, repentance. And if you follow the book, if you follow the book of Revelation, you will find that seven times the message to the churches of Asia, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is the moment of truth where in the valley of decision, it's time to repent. What say you? We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we take a look at Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year, the Jewish New Year. And then we also look at the spiritual implications, which are the real implications from God's viewpoint. It goes under a different name, the Feast of Trumpets, the Blowing of Trumpets. So every year before Rosh Hashanah, There is a reckoning. There's a reckoning as to the Jewish population in Israel and around the world. Now, that's very interesting, and it just dawned on me, even as I mentioned that, that because of the reckoning of the Jewish people, it's actually a reckoning of those that need to come clean before God according to the Feast of the Lord and the command of God in Leviticus chapter 23. So where does that stand today? This year, 2023, where does it stand? Well, here it is. The Jewish population across the globe has risen to approximately 15.7 million people. It's a very modest increase from last year, about 100,000. But... There are currently 7,200, excuse me, 72, strike that, 7,200,000 Jews residing in Israel, up from 7,080,000 last year. Approximately 8.5 million Jews live outside of Israel, with 6.3 million in the United States. So the United States has the second highest number by far the greatest percentage of Jewish people outside of Israel. You could actually say, much like the original settlers in this country looked at America as somewhat of a new Israel. Yes, they did. Now, they believed that it was primarily Gentiles, but it was like a new Israel. And the Jewish people have made their way here so that 
6.3 million live in the United States of America. The next closest is France, with 440,000. Canada, 398,000. The U.K. with 312,000. Argentina with 171,000. And Russia with 132,000. And then it drops from there precipitously. That is the general picture of Jewish people worldwide and in Israel today. And from God's perspective, he knows those numbers. And he expects them, as his chosen people, to repent. Now, I want to take this message a little bit further uh, and this picture Uh, Whether you want to call it a message or not, we'll call it a picture, because in reality, that's what God was trying to create when he spoke to his people back there at Mount Sinai. So we journey back to a place called Sinai in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and we find that uh, the Jewish people were not all that thrilled with God. They just weren't all that thrilled with God. And he, he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and uh, he gave them the Feast of Passover, and he gave them... Uh, he gave them the, uh, the first four feasts of the Lord, and then he brought them before Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, he gave them a very challenging message. He looked at what happened at Mount Sinai as his wedding covenant with Israel. And so I want to share with you a distilled version of that because it goes directly to this whole issue of the blowing of trumpets. So here we go. We'll call it the third day drama. God told the children of Israel to be ready for him on the third day. The third day from when? The third day from when he gave the instruction. So there's a symbolism to this message from Sinai that portrays the pattern of eternal substance for both Jew and Gentile. So here's what God said in Exodus chapter 19. Be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people. So God was giving a warning. He wanted the people to be ready, and he wasn't going to act until he had given the people adequate opportunity to make themselves ready. So God today is giving you and me and all of us, including Israel, adequate opportunity to make ourselves ready. In fact, you could actually say that the patience of the Lord is extreme. Look how long he's given. And so in the book of Peter, he talks about those who say, well, what do you mean the Lord is coming? We've heard about this for all these years, and where is he? And Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as people count slackness or laziness or delay. No, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? 
Repentance. You see, that's the continuing theme, repentance. If one wants to understand the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is repentance. Someone recently asked me, in fact, this week, called me up and said, what is, if you were to distill the theme of the Bible, what it would be? What would be the ultimate message of the Bible? Well, yes, it's salvation, but salvation cannot happen without repentance. There must be a turning toward God, a rectifying of our ways according to God's viewpoint. That's the message of the Bible, to prepare, to get ready, to prepare, to get ready. And isn't that exactly what a bride does when she understands that she's going to be married? She has to get ready. And it's a very busy time. It's a, it's a time when she's thinking about all the preparations for the wedding, for the wedding banquet afterward. The husband is getting ready. All things have to be ready. So God is getting prepared for the final wedding feast. He was doing that as a type, a prophetic type at Mount Sinai. So he says, be ready for the third day. It was the most solemn and sobering warning for Israel's first messianic moment. It was the actual manifestation of God on this planet before a people that were pledged as his betrothed. So how were the people to get ready? And why? Well, here was a people otherwise unholy who were to present themselves as holy and unblameable before a perfect and immeasurably holy God. They were commanded in Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 to 15, to do three things. I want you to think very closely about these three things, because they have everything to do with the Feast of Trumpets. And that's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. You may think it's just a Jewish feast, but it's not. It was only set forth originally to Israel, who were to carry the message and become, shall we say, the visual example of this message to the rest of the world, so that the Gentile world of those who would truly believe and be grafted into Israel would follow accordingly. So here it is. Here's what they were commanded to do. Three things. First, be sanctified. In other words, be set apart exclusively as a bride for the bridegroom. Exclusively. This was not uh, a polyamorous uh, arrangement where you could have many wives or many husbands. No. You were to be set apart, sanctified, set apart exclusively as a bride for the bridegroom. Well, who was the bridegroom? God. The next thing, he said, is be purified. Wash your clothes as a symbol of being clothed in a white gown before the betrothed. Have you ever wondered why wives wear white gowns to be married? It's a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of being pure and holy before God. The Bible says that without holiness, no man will receive or be seen and accepted by the Lord. Then, in addition to that, God told the Jewish people, be exclusively committed. 
In other words, have no sexual relations for three days as a sign of being spiritually exclusive in this betrothal commitment to God. No fleshly compromise. No flesh involved. This is a spiritual wedding. Now, you say, but where is the trumpet issue? I don't get it. Well, hang in there, my friend. Then comes what I call the third day drama. Remember, God had said, be ready for the third day. Well, the drama that followed was an, was unprecedented, really, in human history, and would unsuspectingly to the people become a prophetic declaration, both terrifying and, for those truly ready on the third day, yes, even triumphant. Terrifying and triumphant at the same time. God can do two things at the same time. So there were three distinct manifestations of God's unprecedented presence to humanity then that took place on the third day. Consider these. These signs or messianic manifestations were followed by the Lord delivering his word, his covenantal will, defining his fundamental ways to which he expected his bride to follow. God as the bridegroom, expects his bride to do his will. Why do you think the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord? That's why. Because the husband stands in the place of God. He isn't God, but he stands in the place of God in the marital relationship. Then, because God is a merciful and loving God, Paul says, now you husbands, you husbands should treat your wives, love your wives, as Christ loved the church. So he says, each has their own duty in the marital relationship. And it all has to do with preparing the way of the Lord in our lives, your life, in my life, for history's final hour. So, God expected his bride to follow, and these signs and holy expectations Israel was to take holy heed to. So here are the three signs that God's coming to his people, the three signs of God coming to his people. Number one, the Lord would come in a thick cloud. That's in Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, and verse 16 the Lord would appear to them in a thick cloud. Second, the Lord would come with thunder and lightning. Third, here we go, the Lord will come with the voice of the trumpet. The voice of the trumpet. I want you to think very, very clearly about what you have read from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus' most complete statement concerning the end of the age. Didn't he talk about after the tribulation that there would be uh, all kinds of signs and wonders in the earth? Isn't that what he talked about? Maybe we should visit that with particularity as I have my Bible right in front of me 
and I am turning, as you can probably hear the pages turn, to Matthew chapter 24. Here's what he says. These are the words of Jesus. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And they shall see him coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then shall he send angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, even unto heaven. Wow. Shall we hear more? There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. There is a coming third-day drama. Long after the third-day drama at Sinai, that was but a prophetic type of that which is to come. The question is, are we ready? Are you ready, are we ready to hear the voice of the trumpet? Now, how did the voice of the trumpet sound? Oh, my goodness, friends. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying to the people. They couldn't believe their ears. It was so overwhelming. In Exodus chapter 19, we're flipping back to that passage right now, where God said, Be ready against the third day. Don't come at your wives. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now listen. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I came to bring fire on the earth. Jesus said that. Have you heard anybody preach about it? Jesus said, I came to bring fire on the earth. So here, God descended, the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai in fire and smoke that ascended up like a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. 
Did you know that the Bible tells us that at the time of the second coming of Christ, there is going to be an earthquake so great that it's going to shake not just Mount Sinai, not just your city, but the whole earth at one time. That's what the Bible teaches. In other words, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. Whole cities are going to fall. That's what the Bible says. Now, you might not have heard anybody talk about it because they didn't think that that was going to sell you on Christianity. But it is part of the doctrine of God in truth for salvation. So here's what happened with regard to the trumpet. As the mountain was quaking, that is Mount Sinai, when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and it waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice and told him to come up to the mountain. Now that must have been somewhat petrifying for Moses. Think about it. It would be for you too. But the people were absolutely shaking in their boots, so to speak. Because when God shows up, the people tremble. Even the mountains tremble. And so, friends, we need to understand that these things are actually foretelling of the time soon to come. Soon to come. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Therefore be ready, for in such hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. So what did God do in kindness for Israel before he showed up on Mount Sinai in power and great glory? What did he do? He told them to get ready. He warned them because of his kindness, because he knows that he is God and there is no other. And he knows that the people are not God. And he also knows their weakness. He knows our flesh. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows that. So in his mercy, he prepares us. His grace is what enables us to endure to live for him. But his mercy is what actually brings the warning that we can be prepared. It's like a divine due process. God is delivering process, legal process to the people, saying there's coming a moment of truth, a judgment. So, get ready. I'm not going to leave you without any warning because I'm a God of mercy. So I'm giving you warning. God says, I don't do anything, but what I give the warning first through my servants, the prophets. So he did that through Moses. He's doing that even at this very moment to you. And so the blowing of the trumpet, the Feast of Trumpets, is about that loving, merciful warning both to Israel at that time and to us 
in our time. The Hebrew prophet Zephaniah gave an ominous warning. Here's what he said. The great day of the Lord is near. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet. Interesting, isn't it? Amos, the prophet Amos said of this day, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. What he's saying is, look, get ready because it's coming. It's not going to be a playpen. It's not going to be an easy day for a lady. It's not going to be God wrapping your his arms in sweet nothings around you. It's going to be a day when God has called you to repentance to adjust your attitude and your behavior toward him to come into alignment with his word, his will, and his ways, so that you can be received with joy into his arms and his glory. So, the prophet Joel says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Just as Jesus said, just as Amos said, just as Zephaniah said, the message is complete. Then in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, we have the same message. It's quite amazing. The day is coming in which the Lord will switch off the natural lights of heaven, going to pour out his wrath with relentless fury, upon the wicked world as the Messiah turns to set up his kingdom. It will be Israel's darkest day, called her days of awe. As God, God's wrath prepares her for repentance, even her national day of atonement. The days of awe. Friends, if you haven't figured it out yet, we are living in a hyphenated period now that might well be described as our days of awe. God in his mercy is saying, I'm coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be coming home. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be coming home. If we were to go to the book of Hebrews, we would find there in the New Testament, I, be, I happen to believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people disagree, but most people seem to think that that is true. I think it has all the signs of his uh, style of writing. And we're going to see what he actually says in just a few moments. Because he's comparing what happened at Sinai with what's going to happen in our life, in your life. But before we get there, I want to make available to you my book, Messiah. It's my latest book, and there is a chapter, chapter 29 of the book is called The Third Day. The Third Day. When you read that chapter, it will grip your heart. Because it's helping us to see how God in his mercy, going 
all the way back 3,500 years to Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai and that betrothal and the warning that God gave in his mercy to be ready against the third day. Even so, God is giving the same warning today. The coming third day drama, oh, friends, it's coming. And in the final segment of the program today, we're going to see exactly how it's coming. But the book Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. It's right there on the website, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. It's a, you might say, a sequel to my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, which is also available there on the website. You get both of the books, and they're all going to be uh, $5 postage and handling for the first book, $2 for the next book, and any other books after that. Okay, just want to make sure that you have those things available. All these books were written for a very specific purpose, and that is to prepare the way of the Lord for God's people, for people who will follow him in spirit and in truth, The true remnant. God is preparing a true remnant that will follow him. Come what may. They will not yield. They realize that they're betrothed. They've made a firm and complete commitment to follow Jesus Christ. As the song once said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. So, When we get back, we're going to take a look at this coming third-day drama. Are you ready for it? It has to do again with the trumpet, the sounding of the trumpet. Are we ready to hear it? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Okay, we are now ready to look at the coming third day drama. That's right, the coming third day drama. The Bible, the scriptures, are written such as to foretell the future by giving a prophetic foretaste. That's what they do. 
The more intimately a person becomes acquainted with the Bible, the more clearly are its true meaning and implications revealed. That progressively lifts the veil that has clouded the understanding. So, God wants his people to be prepared. So we're going to leap forward a thousand years from the time that God appeared to his people at Mount Sinai to the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea was pleading on behalf of God to his betrothed Israel, who had forsaken his marital covenant. So here are his words. Foretelling a future confrontation with Messiah in the third day. So as it was at Sinai, so it would be be with the coming Savior. So here's what he says. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. But he he doesn't end there. He says, after two days will he revive us, and in the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So a question, was this prophecy ever fulfilled? And if so, when, when was it fulfilled? Is the fulfillment yet complete? And I believe we need to say to each other, be prepared for the third day unveiling. Because that unveiling has to do with the unveiling of the Messiah. Now, we find this third day thing unveiled for us in many ways. For instance, we have the history of Jonah. Remember that? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, wasn't he? Jesus said... An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But there's not going to be any sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man, Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Notice now, we have two following illustrations concerning the three days. We have Jonah, then we have Jesus, then we have Jesus saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. There's the third time he brings us to remembrance of this third day. So now it's time for us to revisit the Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. Actually, the word Apocalypse is translated Revelation. That's what it means, unveiling, the unveiling of Messiah. And so we find that the message of the unveiled Messiah, the distilled message of the unveiled Messiah, the long-awaited Yeshua HaMashiach from the unveiling or revelation, and we see the pattern that is set forth in the book. Revelation 21 and 19. A new heaven and a new earth is prepared for the bride of Christ, who has figuratively washed their garments in his blood, 
and made themselves ready for the third day. The very same injunction given by God just before the coming of Messiah is given just as it was at Mount Sinai. So, just as foretold by the Hebrew prophets, Jesus must come again, just as God came to Israel on Mount Sinai on the third day, even so will God, manifested in his Son, return on the third day of prophetic history, for it is written, come and let us return to the Lord. After two days he will revive us, and in the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Okay, how long has it been, friends, since Jesus was born and began his ministry? Well, he was born around 4 B.C., He concluded his ministry somewhere around 28 B.C. So it appeared, excuse me, 28 A.D., so it appeared that we are somewhere around two or three years away from the conclusion of 2,000 years. Two days. Remember, a day with the Lord is is 1,000 years. Are you beginning to get the picture? Have we entered the third day? If we have not entered the third day, friends, we are right on the near edge of it. And that's why this is so important. So the writer of Hebrews says, today if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did back there in the wilderness. Don't do that. The apostle Paul put it this way. These things happen to them as an example for you. All these things happen to them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let anybody that thinks that he's standing or is ready take heed lest he fall. And seek not that you don't don't refuse him that speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him that spoke on earth at Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth at Sinai. But now he's promised again, saying, Once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Wherefore, and you can find this in Hebrews chapter 12, wherefore, We, that's you and me, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, that's the eternal kingdom of Messiah, for those who will receive him, let us have grace, that is, enabling power, whereby we may serve God acceptably through Messiah with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire, just as he was at Sinai. Hmm. Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. And what God is calling to all of us through Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, is what is called Teshuva, and that is repentance. So, are we nearing history's final hour? Have we entered the third day? 
Or is it just around the corner? The mystery of the ages, for some, is just going to remain a mystery. So, maybe we should consider soberly, soberly, whether we've entered the se- in entering the seventh uh, millennium, based upon biblical history, maybe we are in or just on the near edge of the third day. Two days, 2,000 years, since Jesus Christ came to be the Word made flesh dwelling among us to reveal what God desired, what he expected, obedience, to do his will. Jesus said, I came only to do his will, only to obey his voice, and now I'm leaving, and as the Father sent me, even so I send you to do the same thing. So all of the signs of our times, the rapid progression of of prophetic fulfillment, seem to indicate that our world now faces its ultimate messianic moment. Does it seem that way to you? So on whom will you place your trust on the third day? That's the question. Because the trumpet is going to sound. In the book of Malachi, we find God giving his next-to-last message. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. But who may abide or endure the day of his coming, that is Christ? Who shall stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Then, having said that, we shift quickly to the book of Revelation at the very end of the story. Because suddenly the unveiling of the Messiah explodes in unfathomable and fearful glory before our eyes. Because he says, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Hmm. Behold, I come quickly quickly. Israel has, the Jewish people have over 15 million people, almost 16 million worldwide, 7.2 million in Israel. As the chosen people to reveal how God worked and works in history, But they're a symbol in many respects for the rest of the world. And that's why you and I, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, have the opportunity to be grafted in. But they, the Apostle uh, wrote, were broken off. Many of their branches were broken off. And he says, now you have an opportunity to be grafted in, even though they were broken off. But he said, if you claim to be grafted in, and then you don't live according to God's word, will, and ways, 
then you also will be broken off, and it's possible for them, if they repent, to be grafted back in as the original olive tree. So what God is saying is, look, I am a merciful God. I am long-suffering, and I will abundantly pardon those who truly repent. Only twice it's recorded that God blows a trumpet. And in both instances, it's the shofar. It's not a silver trumpet. The first occasion was at Mount Sinai. The last occasion on which the Lord will blow the shofar will be at Messiah's return. And as the day of the Lord begins, God's last trump will be sounded. The Messiah will reveal himself in great wrath, and he will prepare the nation to be brought into the new covenant. That is Israel. Did you know that in anticipation because of the Jewish people's reverence for Rosh Hashanah as the Feast of Trumpets, Jewish gravestones were often engraved with a shofar. And we remember, how can we forget? Because great uh, George Frederick Handel in his monumental musical Messiah has that wonderful aria, uh, tenor aria. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That is those who have repented who have heard the sound of the trumpet and are ready for the third day. Get a copy of the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, right there on our website, saveus.org. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us. And remember, all our other books are available for $10 for the month of September only. Take advantage of it. Many people are doing that. They're getting copies of all of them. God bless and be a blessing, friends. Remember, the third day. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.